electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. After 10 record highs for the S&P this month alone, looking for another at the open, as data is good across the board today. Durables, jobless claims, even revised Q3 GDP. Surprise to the upside. Europe is steady. Yields are reacting to the data. Ten-year back near 178. Our roadmap begins with President Trump's upbeat outlook for trade talks, giving a boost to Wall Street. Stock set to open at new records once again. The stock market just hit another all-time in history high, meaning 401ks and jobs. Everybody's getting rich, and I'm working my ass off. Well, shares of Deere are sliding this morning. This ahead of the open. The farm equipment maker issuing a profit warning for fiscal 2020 as those trade tensions do persist. And the Toys R Us comeback, 17 months after shuttering all their stores. The new company's first toy store set to open in New Jersey this morning. As stocks look to set some new records on optimism about trade, this economic data today is also in the mix. 3Q GDP revised up from 1.9 to 2.1. Uh, durables rebound in October up uh, six tenths. We were looking for a 1% decline. Even business investment, Mike, uh, up 1.2. X, X Air non-defense, a proxy for investment. And that was a, not a good number last month, making up for it now. Yeah, pretty well in tune with what the market has been trying to say, which is that we had this uh, soft patch for pulling out of it. Uh, I think there's a real willingness about, by the market, by investors, to kind of look through any near-term uh, kind of softness in the incoming numbers because they feel as if uh, we, we've kind of uh, escaped the, the greatest risk. And I think these numbers would confirm that. I mean, a 2% economy was an upside surprise, given where the markets were in August. I think the only question is, are we going to run this market up to a level where the recognition that we're still a 2% economy is going to be a disappointment? I don't know where that level is, but we're kind of uh, clicking higher. Bond yields not doing much kind of sitting there very benignly, but if it's not because of stress or recession fears, that just kind of underwrites the valuations of equities. LPL with some nice uh, numbers out today. As we said at the open, 10 new highs for the S&P this month is the most since January of 2018, and one of the most ever for a November, right? It's an interesting quirk, and by the way, probably good news that we actually cannot exceed January of 2018, because that's the month that stands out then as the massive overshoot. Yeah, we only have two more days. So the massive overshoot to the upside uh, in that kind of post-tax cut uh, euphoria. David, uh, whether you couple the data this week with the trade optimism, with the M&A that got piled on uh, today, and according to you, uh, there's still room to pile on some more before you're in. Yeah, I mean, people are certainly talking a decent game uh, at this point. We'll see whether that actually results in any larger announcements before year-end. But your point's a good one, Carl. I mean, M&A is certainly any banker will tell you or lawyer or anybody advising on these kinds of transactions a reflection of confidence to the extent you see it. Uh, you can assume that there is some CEO confidence out there. Now, if you're a multinational who's considering a large deal or a cross-border 
you're certainly still going to be given pause, whether it's about the overall um, environment right now in terms of what your capital spending is going to look like or what the company you might be acquiring is going to look like, what's going to be coming in in terms of orders, not to mention regulatory review still if you need China, for example. But all that said, that was a serious merger Monday we had a couple of days ago, and it does have to be taken as a positive. When you look at um, just sort of what the financing markets are kind of begging companies to do, I think November was one of the biggest issuance months for high-yield debt uh, in a couple of years. The market just, like, took it all in, happy to have it all, every deal oversubscribed. You almost wonder why there isn't more deal activity. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, it almost seems that relative to where the market cap is, the overall aggregate market, we're not necessarily, you know, hitting highs for activity. No, we're not. Now, there's a little bit of concern at sort of the triple C level. Sure. And, you know, uh, the CLOs may be full up that buy a lot of this stuff. So there's been a little, uh, the last couple of weeks in particular, some concern about the financing markets yeah. for the lower rated credits, Mike, um, which could go to at least private equity and its appetite. But you're right. I mean, you know, overall, you can raise enormous amounts of money at what are relatively very low very low rates, which is why you do at least have some people thinking about crazy, not crazy, I'll take that back, large, large deals Absolutely. like a Walgreens, sure. which when you pencil it out, it's hard to sort of see how the returns would really be there yeah. given the debt load they take on. But nonetheless, to your point, could at least be potentially viable because of those financing. People rates. back at the envelope uh, saying, hey, Bloomberg LP might be for sale. Could private equity do it? Yeah. You know, Bloomberg, if, if in fact that was for sale and I've tried to make calls yeah. on that and it's very much unclear that's the case. Totally. Um, the question with Bloomberg is who the ultimate buyer of that company would be, because it doesn't necessarily fit. It's very large. Sure. Right. So a Fox, for example. No. By the way, him right. selling it to Rupert yeah. Murdoch. Come on. Not going to happen, but they're way smaller. Right. Um, you, you know, you've got the media part of the business, and you've obviously got the more important cash flow part of the business, which is really the data yeah. and, the, and the machines. But is it Micros? Who who is yeah. large enough to to buy a fifty billion dollar asset? Yeah, uh, is a real question. I mean, Blackstone and bought the Thompson Reuters. They did business. Refinitiv, and then they immediately yeah. almost flipped it to the London Stock Exchange. So there's exchange. appetite for that type of. That was a much smaller deal, though. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge deal, 50, you know, at least 50. So I, I, I don't know, but I think if, in fact, he moves along and it really becomes a question as to whether he's going to truly try to actually sell that business, which, by the way, is completely unclear at this point, yeah. I think it will be very interesting to see if yeah. private equity really could step up or whether they need to go a different route in some fashion and split it. Uh, well, we got M&A, obviously the data, and then some uh, some guide downs today. Deer is down in the pre-market despite some better than expected results. Company forecasts weaker equipment sales in fiscal 20. Says uh, Deer has been hurt by uncertainties in the agricultural sector. In fact, their line is ongoing, lingering trade tensions coupled with difficult growing and harvesting conditions uh, is uh, one of two down uh, downward revisions to guidance, including Dell. Uh, where we're still talking and wondering whether this is about enterprise pain or an Intel chip shortage. Yeah, the, the deer uh, announcement, I mean, you read it and you say, well, it's kind of what you might have expected given farm economics right now and the stress in that area. But the stock is up 20 percent from the August low. So it was part of this broader trade toward cyclicals. Maybe we've seen the bottom. We can reaccelerate from here. And right now, uh, I mean, it's not an expensive stock, but it definitely, in terms of how it typically trades, is, is maybe uh, have been a bit of ahead of itself, certainly, to absorb this kind of a, of a guide. Yeah, uh, but a typical um, cyclical. Yeah, without um, a doubt. Right. I mean, the question to me is, is it going to have legs and you're going to see Caterpillar? I mean, Agco is going to open lower. But, you know, so if it's going to go beyond this exact equipment sector, 
uh, to, to encompass broader industrials. I kind of doubt it because it is very ag-specific in terms of the, the nature of the wine. So a lot to work with uh, on a day where typically liquidity dries up in the middle of the session before the holiday. Joining us with their perspectives on this record-setting market, Ian Lingen is a BMO's head of uh, U.S. rate strategy, David Zervos, Jeffrey's chief market strategist. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Good to see you. you. Good to see you. So, David, where, what has the S&P earned the right to top out at, given the news of the past couple of weeks? Oh, that's a, that's a toughie. But, uh, I mean, I think what we're really adjusting to here is kind of Mike was on it, I think, earlier, lower rates, higher multiples, kind of settling into a Fed that's not going anywhere, any higher anytime soon, probably could go lower if things got messy, even though the politics will be tricky next year for that. But we're really adjusting to the fact that people don't want to take these multiples up to 19 or 20. But if we're really sitting at a 175 tenure note and we're not going much higher than that, that's not an unreasonable multiple. And that's that's the tussle that's happening today. But it's, it's a grind. We've had a great year. Up until the summer, we were, when we hit 3,000 first, it was a 20% year. This last 5%, I think, does not have a lot of participation in it. People have kind of held back and said, ah, maybe we'll get a pullback. And so I, t- I sense with our clients a lot, uh, and even myself, there's a reluctance to jump in above 3,000, especially if you had the trade. Um, so you're getting, dra- you know, you're getting FOMO and people getting dragged in a little bit. I think that's the story. But I, I don't think there's a, a topping out here of any kind. I mean, if we're really in an environment of this low rate structure and a, and a Fed backstop to the downside, kind of got a lot of room to run in 2020. Bill Gross would say we could have a 175 a year from now and stocks down 10. What do you think? I could envision that world, but to David's point, I think there's the implicit Powell put at play. They're worried about equity volatility, which could potentially tighten financial conditions, and that's when they need to get involved again. And so, if anything, I would see a, a continued grind higher in the equity market, even or if and when the Fed actually has to get involved. So that leaves the 10-year yield in a definable range, 220, or excuse me, 2% to 225. It's going to be a massive buy. When I talk to clients, there are a ton of people on the sidelines waiting for that opportunity. And we're just waiting for the cyclical re-steepening of the curve in 2020. When you say get involved, you mean go back to a hiking cycle? No. The right, next time the Fed is going to move, it's going right, to be right. lower. It's not going to be higher. The terminal uh, rate for this cycle is in, and it's 140. It's not the 425 they initially estimated. So the right call a year ago for 2019 was 10 year goes from 2.5 to 175. We have a recession scare, three rate cuts, but that's it for now. Uh, and the S&P multiple goes from 14 to 18 on a forward basis. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that set us up for right now in terms of the opportunity to build on that. I just wonder, David, in terms of, yes, you can kind of incrementally inch ahead on the valuation side. Um, Are we looking at a static 10-year type picture? Is is it just going to be steady state for a while? I I don't think so. I think the 10-year is the tricky place. The front end for me is a much easier place to get uh, comfortable that we don't have a normal distribution, meaning the probability of 100 base points higher versus 100 base points lower is very different. Lower lower rates are much more likely at the front end. In the back end, you know, we have a Fed that's going to change its inflation framework probably in 2021. The market's going to see that, hear about that. I think Jay Powell two nights ago kind of even pushed that point further in his speech that inflation undershoots are a big, big deal. The the long end's going to get a little, you know, a little skittish on that. And so this concept of a steepener, which is a very subscribed trade, kind of makes some sense. And maybe it's overpositioned, so you get some some people getting squeezed out of it. But I think that's really the story. You've got to be careful in the tenure because if the Fed does change this framework, 
targeting framework, which I think really think they will do after the election, um, we will have uh, a Fed that gets very easy, very fast. That'll bring the short end down, might even bring more QE to the table, but it could take the long end yields higher. And that actually is a pretty interesting thing for the stock market because the stock market's going to have to adjust to this longer term rate that maybe goes up a little bit. So it could be it could be a wash almost for stocks. And that's, with, and that's with Judy Shelton not on the on the, the floor. And that's right. with Judy Shelton well, not. Who knows there. what happens after that? Yes. Right? Well, you know, I was going to say, if the next move is a cut, then your mid-90s, late-90s analog goes away, right? Because those, you had three rate cuts in 95 and 98, and the next moves were up. You yeah. know, remember, we had the three 95s, yes. yeah. and then they would have three more in 98. Right. No, I get you. Yeah. But you had an intermittent hiking site. I mean, I'm yeah. not trying to be too cute about it, but, if, but are we still basically like trying to forestall the end of this cycle and it's inside or not? Well, that's what they've been trying to do for the entire cycle. By definition, monetary policy wants to take the highs and lows out, extend the expansion as long as possible. But I'm worried about the inversion hangover. And the inversion hangover, three-month bills versus tens, there tends to be at about an 18-month lag between that compression and when it truly starts to hit corporate profitability. Corporate profits shrink, layoffs increase, that's where it hits the consumer and people stop spending. Probably won't be this holiday season, but it's certainly on the radar for 2020. Inversion 2, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, that's a sequel we'd, we're not interested in. <laughs> the clock is ticking, yeah. Thanks, guys. Good weekend. You too. Good uh, see you. Happy holidays. When we come back, as we said earlier, the return of Toys R Us just in time for Black Friday. We'll take you to the mall where the new store is opening. Take a look at the pre-market here. We'll get to some other names. A lot of earnings on the tape for a day before a holiday. HP, Box. Uh, there is news on Ford, Tesla, and Boeing. We're back in a moment. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Today marks the return of Toys R Us and its new brick-and-mortar store. Courtney Reagan is at the Garden State Plaza Mall in Paramus, New Jersey, with the latest. Uh, that last live shot, Courtney, had a bit of a co-star there. <laughs> we did, and he's a little busy right now. As you saw there, he just cut the ribbon on this brand-new Toys R Us store. If you're confused, that's because you might remember that the retailer did file for bankruptcy. It closed all of its 800 stores as it really failed to reorganize. But the brand was purchased by a whole new company, and so it's starting fresh, but with a name that you probably know. So the new company is called True Kids, and this is the first of two planned stores this year. Right now, they only have plans for a total of 10 by the end of next year, so considerably smaller than the Toys R Us that you once knew. The stores are about 6,500 square feet. The old Toys R Us store about 40,000 square feet. And this store is powered in part by retail technology firm Beta. So it's a lot more experiential and a bit less inventory driven. But as you can see, there certainly is inventory here that you can buy from 40 brands, including uh, toy makers like Hasbro, Lego, Melissa and Doug, and a number of others. What's interesting though, ToysRS.com, if you want to buy something there, you click on the link to the toy that you want and it actually redirects you to Target.com. Target.com is actually fulfilling all the orders, so the website is sort of a landing page with a redirection. So ironically, 
Target is benefiting from this relaunch, too. And we know uh, what kind of a week and quarter and year uh, Target has had. Court. Mike, I was just thinking about apparel, uh, one sector that has not yeah. participated in the rally overall this month. And if you look at how the retail stocks have performed, it's the apparel-heavy ones that have really had the hardest time. Um, so that's something that really hasn't changed. And, um, I mean, obviously it's been the, the kind of declared winners of Omnichannel that uh, have, been the, have been the ones, which are the ones that don't depend as much on clothes. So, yeah. Um, first of uh, many hits that we'll be doing this week on uh, on retail. That's for sure. You guys are working Friday, Black Friday. We are, which I think is yeah. one of the most fun days of the week, uh, the year to work. Uh, you do, yeah. Really, it's funny you never show up for it. <laughs> Usually I do, but this uh, year I won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's very nice here on the floor. All the kids come. Yeah. Uh, I'm always here for whatever reason. Seniority really works in my favor. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney, thanks. We'll see you in a little while. When we return, VMware and Autodesk moving in opposite directions on their respective earnings reports. Stay tuned for interviews with uh, CEOs of both of those companies. As we uh, are coming off record highs, looking for more this morning, all three indices riding a three-day win streak and on pace for the best month since June. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create like Olu Shehi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Boeing shares under some pressure this morning. New reports that the 777X fuselage split dramatically during a September stress test. Phil Beau joins us now uh, to put this uh, story in some context. Hey, Phil. Hey, Mike. And this is one of those stories where you see the headline or if you see the picture, the Seattle Times has a picture of it today. People will say, oh, my goodness. How can this plane ever get in the air? Well, this is part of the development process. And apparently in September, this fuselage rip happened on a 777X as they were checking the maximum pressure that the uh, fuselage could go through. This is standard for all commercial aircraft. They do this in basically to see the the limits for how far a plane can be pushed. The Seattle Times points out that despite the tear... This may not slow certification of the 777X. As you take a look at shares of Boeing over the last three months, we should remind you the 777X is the next commercial airplane that the company expects to have certified. That certification and first flight is expected to happen by the end of next year. Guys, back to you. Phil, uh, we are, you know, as we mentioned, seeing a little bit of a a backing away of uh, of Boeing shares, which have been trying to uh, come back. 
lately. Right. Do you think that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of 777 expectation, you know, in the price right now? Is that the, there's just sort of a knee-jerk reaction here? Or does anybody really think that it's going to change any sort of timeline on this right. new plane? I would say that the 777X is not impacting shares of Boeing this morning. I think it's more likely, if we see any type of a pullback, it's due to the fact that, as we reported yesterday on Fast Money, the FAA sent a letter to Boeing yesterday saying that when it comes to certification of the 737 MAX, in the past, what would happen is they would say, okay, the plane overall is certified. Now, this person is delegated from Boeing to sign off on a number of the aircraft as they come off the assembly line. If they're good to go by this person's estimate, then they're good to go. They're certified. That's not what's going to happen here. All of these planes that are parked, guys, they're going to have to be approved by the FAA individually, one by one, which means the 737 MAX, when it is recertified, it could be a longer process for those deliveries actually to take place to customers. Phil, thanks so much. A lot of news on your beat today as well, our Phil LeBeau. Uh, the opening bell is coming up in just six minutes. Don't go away. You're watching CNBC Squawk on the Street, live from the financial capital of the world. The opening bell in just over three minutes on this uh, last session before the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, travel in a little while, but uh, 55 million people on the road, so be careful if you are uh, moving around the country today. Meantime, Tesla shares are up in the pre-market. Last night, Elon Musk indicated in a tweet the automaker has now received 250,000 reservations for the Cybertruck, although that number was not immediately confirmed by the automaker. Uh, I did see that Bookmaker, which is a bookmaker out of the EU, has the Cybertruck over the Ford at three That's to right. one. Three to one. Three yeah. to one. And they have little to go on other than what we know Exactly. So far. I mean, I don't know if they've really, uh, you know, done the, done the numbers on the specs for each truck or anything like that. But I do think it tells you that the company thrives on forever giving this impression that they're working on stuff. The next new thing, uh, it's a lot of spectacle and it's a lot of the big picture future. The more the, the story becomes about the blocking and tackling of, of putting out cars and the existing models and what's the uptake and what do the subsidies look like, the worse the stock does. And that's been the toggle for, for quite a while right now. It's interesting how uh, the, after the launch you did have a backing off of the stock because of the, the broken window and all the rest and it's you know, trying to recover that right away. So. It's $100, is that what the uh, deposit bucks refundable. is? Refundable. Refundable yeah. $100 deposit. Okay. And it's funny to see some of the other automakers sort of adopting his showman-like tactics today. Ford says the first edition of the Mustang Mach-E yeah. is sold out. We don't know how many they're making. We don't know how many have been reserved. That's exactly. a $500 fee to reserve. Yeah. But, <laughs> but everybody's true. getting in this game of... A building, right. a building uh, some tension. That's true. The rest of the industry is really fighting this big battle of be being viewed as in secular, secular decline. You know, I mean, obviously the uh, uh, unit levels are not what they are going to be, and nobody knows what the next cycle is going to look like if we come out of a, of a downturn. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating how you have to go almost back to the showmanship days of, you know, earlier in, in automotive land when it was every new model of every year was kind of anticipated. Hasn't been that way in a long time. Yeah. Well, that's why Elon uh, has earned comparisons to the greats, the giants of the industry, yeah. having created, having really busted up the whole model. On a week that has not been great for auto news overall, uh, Fitch looking at unit declines globally this year. Um, you had Audi with some layoffs. I mean, sure. the, the, the business is it's in mean, rough shape. GM and Ford, you know, they sit there with mid-single-digit 
PE multiples because the market has decided just we're not interested in seeing if you can do something. Right. Yeah. And by the way, uh, USA Today with this front page piece on the top 10 percent, spending by the top 10 percent down 1 percent in Q2 uh, on an annual basis, rolling basis, down for three quarters, first time since the recession. Yeah. We know how much that means for overall spending. It's a huge piece of the pot. Maybe that's a little bit what August, September's freakout in the markets was about to, to a degree. Let's get the opening bell here in the S&P 500 at the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. At the big board, it's Empire State Realty Trust, celebrating the opening of the Empire State Building Observatory Experience. At the NASDAQ, Time Technologies, developer of cancer therapeutics. Let's touch on what we mentioned briefly, and that was Dell. Uh, nice beat, revenue miss. They cut their guide. Uh, you get, I counted at least three price target cuts. Um, and after Cisco and some of the other names this yeah. week, why would the enterprise be so weak at this point? It's a, it's a very good question. I don't know if they're kind of going up against the 2018 numbers where you did get a little bit of a flush uh, of software purchases and, and IT spend. Um, it does seem as if the market's not interested in old legacy tech at the moment. Uh, you did see how the reaction to Cisco went. Dell, the stock had traded badly even before uh, these numbers. HP looks like it was okay uh, last night, but again, it was it's it's you know pretty much a uh, stock that's under a lot of you know compression. Nobody's building in any growth expectations. Out yeah, of it. I mean, in, on the call uh, yesterday, they talk about two different uh, macro sort of dynamics right now. Um, U.S. Tra China trade, of course, being one of them. They also did see a decent amount of weakness there. The softness they talked about, though, in terms of large enterprise customers uh, buying servers, which we have talked about and Jim has talked about as well. They also talked about that Intel CPU shortage um, causing Sun Dynamics that are causing us to be a little more cautious than perhaps we would have been, say, three or four months ago. And so that is why you did get um, at least them sort of reducing the range in terms of their um, their 2020 gap revenue. They're now, now 91.5 billion to 92.2 billion, an operating income of 2.9 to 3.1 billion. EPS is now 583 to 598, and again, you're seeing a bit of that uh, re uh, reflected in that 4% loss uh, in the stock so far. Um, I also talked a bit about the fact that they have been a beneficiary of component cost dynamics that have been extraordinary in terms of deflation. Yeah and whether or not that's going to continue. Been a consistent story. In another type of market, you know, missing a little bit because of a component shortage would be looked through. But again, I, I think that just the entire class, people, when they want to buy tech, they want to buy these kind of automatic stories, these automatic growers like a, a Microsoft uh, or the, some of the cloud names were just disruption. And these guys are neither one. Yeah. Box, though, uh, did have decent results and actually raised their guide on full-year revenue. Uh, HP did their same, uh, did the same thing on EPS. Mm -hmm. So it is a mixed bag when it comes to... It certainly is. And, and again, I mean, Box is another stock that's, you know, struggled to come, come off its lows. It's traded below. Obviously, there's an activist situation in there. Uh, and Box is now seen as trying to uh, focus in on some financial targets that'll please uh, the activists and other investors. And now it's, you know, can they get to them? Yeah. I thought it was interesting. We started the week with uh, Schwab TD News. And remember, when they all went to zero commissions, everyone slashed their targets by a large amount. Today, they're going the opposite direction. Barclays ups them both to equal weight. They go from, in the case of TD, 33 to 53, uh, 35 to 49 in the Schwab case. So unraveling the concern that had come from zero commission. Right. Well, when you can eliminate 60% of the cost base of the company you're buying, which is pretty much what the synergies imply, 
then that gives an analyst a new reason to say we can refresh our numbers and they can weather this much better together than they could otherwise. Um, you know, I, I do think that the Fed stopped cutting rates. That's so far, that's okay for them because they do really earn a spread. And I think there's a little more interest in the fact that they were modestly valued. Uh, the, the combination makes strategic sense. Um, and it's going to be a year and a half or two years when it's all about merger integration and, and, and figuring that piece of it out. So, uh, yeah, I, I see why it went that way. Because if you put them together, it really is not a company leveraged to the self-directed trading business. Uh, speaking of putting together, uh, HP is not interested in being put together with Xerox, at least uh, not yet, uh, given the back and forth between those two companies. But HBQ did report earnings last night. You can take a look at uh, how it's being uh, responded to in the marketplace this morning. Not bad. Let's call it more or less flat. Uh, they did not on the call really discuss anything having to do with Xerox's continued attempts to acquire it and the back and forth of letters, most recently the letter yesterday from Xerox. Uh, saying, hey, we're going to talk to your shareholders, okay, and try and explain to them why you should be giving us diligence as well as we're offering uh, to you. They did also, though, go on to talk about capital returns, 75% uh, in terms of at least how they their long-term return of capital target and the screening that they do to sort of meet that, and that continues to be uh, kind of where they're focused in terms of how much uh, they will return. Uh, also indicated the board approved Mint Corona 5 billion share repurchase authorization. Um, but you can see HP Inc. Well, now it's up, actually. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it firmed up since, uh, since the announcement last yeah. night. Uh, I mean, even if, you know, uh, if, if there was interest in a deal, we're talking about kind of uh, low premium, kind of cost yeah, energy I mean, type you, story. Right, the idea is, I mean, the... The Xerox bid right now on the table is 22, yeah. uh, 77% of which is cash. We've talked about their potential inability to go that much higher in terms of the cash uh, stock portion because obviously you've already got a mix that would bring uh, HP shareholders 48, 49% of the combined company, Mike. But the key is this question of the uh, cost synergies. You know, Xerox will tell you at least $2 billion. I think they may think it's even higher. And HP responds by saying... We have a cost-cutting plan. Remember, they've already announced significant layoffs. You have a cost-cutting plan, and all you really seem to be doing is t- taking the two numbers and putting them Combined, together yeah. to some way, and we don't believe that actually it will be any near what you're saying because we don't see those synergies on costs that you're talking about. It's going to be a lot more on this to come, as we well know. Uh, Apple's helping the Dow at least um, uh, at the open here. It's reportedly asked its Chinese supplier to double production of its new AirPods Pro headsets and a potential threat to its usual suppliers. Nikkei reporting that in order to meet demand, they've asked uh, Luxshare ICT to double production of the earphones at its Chinese facilities to $2 million a month. It's worth noting that if you ordered today from the website, the AirPods won't arrive until December 30 at the earliest. Um, as every incremental move they they make on supply chain makes news. It's incredible. Um, I mean, I, you know, who knows what their really anticipated initial volumes were, but for a $250 item, if you think about it, people were kind of aghast at a $1,000 phone, and for a quarter of the price of a phone, you're talking about the, the earphones piece. It's pretty impressive. By the way, Apple shares at the close yesterday 
They dropped from about 266.50, a quick three quarters of a percent right into the close. It seemed related to this MSCI index rebalancing, and it's just regained exactly that at the open this morning, Apple has. So it's right back to where it was at like 358 yesterday. So yeah, it's driving the Dow this morning, you're picking it back up, but it is really just kind of recovering that weird little uh, drop issue. Uh, being offset, at least the Dow did set a record high at the open along with the other two major indices, but uh, Boeing is helping to drag it down along with CAT. And if Jim were here, yeah. uh, David, we'd probably ask him uh, why his charitable trust exited CAT this week. Uh, right. We might. I'm not sure what we'd hear. I know. But um, given his uh, relative confidence that these trade headlines are for real. Yes. Yesterday he made a real point of saying that he'd sort of changed his view, which had been fairly negative in terms of any progress really being made towards a phase one deal to believing that those exchange of calls was very significant, at least according to Jim's uh, sources. I mean, Deere is down well, a little over 4%. Um, and know, not too much follow through in terms of CAT, I guess, with, uh, with that 1% decline. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the, the big question has been for a long time is uh, exactly what's priced in to what parts of the market if, in fact, you get some kind of a, anything that forestalls the, the tariffs, which to me is the ultimate bottom line for the market. The rest of the details could hardly matter at all in terms of trading. So, um, you know, for something like a cat, which had, you know, come back fairly well, maybe it was sort of reaping the benefits early. Yeah. I mean, um it's not by the way, th- the Chinese economy is not in great shape. So no, even yeah, if these- you're talking about the trade war goes away, they've had some numbers now where it's not as if they seem like they're ready to, to start to binge uh, on investment. In- industrial profits overnight down 9.9. That's the biggest drop since basically the beginning of the year. Yeah. Uh, they do have something called the Economic Work Conference, which uh, facts said today says is a conference the second or third week in December and that they would like to have maybe this wrapped up going into that. Um, but do you believe if we heard that December 15 tariffs were going to be delayed and we could get a signing, maybe not at the president level, but ministerial level, market rallies further? I think it just gets it out of the way. And the market's current bias is just to grind up for the moment anyway. It's getting a little tired. Uh, but I, I don't think that it would be a sell the news automatically type of type of an event because it will enable investors to rationalize looking through soft economic numbers for a while. Right. It'll just be like, well, trade wars, you know, no like longer the GM block. like the GM strike, like the government shut down early this year. Uh, it's one of those things where it would just kind of lower the stakes, I think, for every number. Um, and, you know, not to say that that means we're going higher. We're already up over 25 percent in the S&P year to date. Obviously, it crashed into the late late December last year. But, um, you know, clicking to a new all time highs in this very orderly way, it makes sense. But I just don't know how. Uh, how tightly wound the market's going to get as it, uh, as it continues to spire higher. And then the question becomes more broadly, does it affect the loan officer survey and CapEx intentions exactly. and CEO confidence? Then you got the confidence piece that would need to follow uh, to, to really get. Because you got a, you got a S&P that's gone from 14 times forward earnings at the beginning of this year to 19 or 18. Um, you know, pretty much you raise the hurdle pretty high for making sure earnings start to come back next year. Um, one name that uh, we've pointed out, of course, many times has lagged the overall rally in the big tech is, is Amazon. It's up about 20 percent this year, uh, roughly five percentage points behind the S&P and certainly behind uh, stronger performers such as Facebook and Apple. Um, Cyber Monday begin, <laughs> coming up. Uh, we've talked a bit here about as well the fewer days in the selling season for retail. 
Whether Amazon will benefit in some fashion from that, I don't know. Uh, their ability, obviously, to deliver uh, same day or at least next day is certainly uh, something. Also want to point out next week is AWS reInvent, conf- the reInvent conference, big AWS-related conference that may get some attention and certainly focus some attention on what is still an incredibly fast-growing business uh, for uh, Amazon. It's interesting. Um, fundamental case for Amazon, all the analysts universally still love it, almost literally 100%. Is it really? Yeah. Technicians look at the chart, say it's double-digit percentages down from its all-time high. Uh, it doesn't act that great given that the overall tech and, and consumer is doing fine. Did, David, did you just mention the Pivotal call a moment ago? I did. All right, no, that, I so the, they went 2,500 yeah, to 2,100. Exactly. Yeah. And they said the street hasn't sharpened their pencils enough on the, on the next year. They don't think that's right, exactly. Right. And so, I mean, I think there's a sort of a, a kind of a tacit thing. Well, the fourth quarter guidance for Amazon was probably way too conservative. And, and so it's an interesting little tussle, though, between the fact that the stock has not really kept up, and yet there's a sort of a complacent sell side on it. We will definitely watch that name, no question. Let's get to Bertha Coombs, see what else is moving this morning. Hi, Bertha. Hi, Carl. We've still got that record run going on. The S&P coming off its 25th record close of the year, the 20th for the NASDAQ, putting the major averages on pace for their best month since June. But the big story this month so far has been the comeback of the small caps. Russell 2000 keeping pace with the major averages, hitting new 52-week highs. And it's still down about 6% from its 2018 record. But part of that comeback and that move has been the resurgence of small cap biotechs this quarter. And the overall rebound of healthcare, which leads this quarter, along with financials and tech, while investors have rotated out of those dividend-paying utilities and real estate sectors. The iShares Healthcare Providers ETF, which includes hospitals and insurers, is on pace for its best month since 2011, the start of Obamacare. The start of, uh, in, in part, because of strong earnings that we've seen from the insurers, and the fever breaking on that fear of Medicare for all, as we have seen Elizabeth Warren uh, backtracking a bit now, introducing a sort of phase-in public option plan, and polls showing that Democratic voters are just not wild about getting rid of private insurers. They're some of the best performers this month. They've really moved to the upside, and they are leading in the quarter, CVS and Cigna in particular, which have really been able to show that they're able to uh, deliver on their strategies. Meantime, on the other end of the spectrum, Weather is impacting holiday travel, but it has been a tough month already for the travel sites. Take a look at some of these. Expedia, TripAdvisor, they're the worst performers in the S&P. Booking holdings, though, a little bit better. Tough competition there, guys. Back over to you, Mike. Bertha, thank you very much. Well, we got the uh, Chicago PMI due out in just moments to add to all the other data we got this morning. Let's head out to the bond pits. Rick Santelli at the CME Group in Chicago. Hi, Rick. Hi, Mike. Indeed, we have Chicago coming up, but briefly, let's get into the charts here. We had very solid data this morning, whether it was preliminary read on durable goods, the proxy for capital spending, or, of course, a couple of tenths revision over the 2% hump on GDP. Look at intraday 10. It popped. The whole curve popped. Look at a two-week of 10s, and you can see that even though this is a nice pop, it is still a long way from getting back up towards the top of the range. And finally, if we look at what's going on with regard to a yield curve, not 10s to 2s, let's look at 30s minus 10s. That distance is really narrowing. Right now, what we refer to as the knob, notes over bonds, approaching 40 basis points, currently at 43. That is the tightest it's been since April. 
dollar index. You know, when we first walked in, it was down a bit. Now it's getting close to up a fifth of a cent. Look at it one week of the dollar index. It is really powering ahead here as we get into a thinner session. And finally, looking at the dollar since mid-September, what's really noteworthy here is we are, what, seven-eighths of a cent from the highest close of 2019. And that brings me within three seconds of our look at Chicago PMI, expecting 47, a bit of a disappointment, 46.3, 46.3, but let's not despair. That is only the uh, uh, weakest number uh, going back a couple of months. As a matter of fact, last month, of course, at 43.2 stands unrevised. That is the weakest number since December 2015. Prior to that, 47.1. So we enveloped this right in the middle. Carl, back to you. All right, Rick, thank you very much. Corporate America under attack on the campaign trail yet again. According to new data, presidential candidates have called out more than 80 companies in 30 industries on Twitter. And the issue getting the most online engagement is when the companies are targeted for paying little or no taxes. The top targets in the past six months, Amazon, Facebook, McDonald's and Walmart. And surprisingly, no banks cracked the top 10. Bernie Sanders, Warren, Trump, Harris making the most corporate attacks online as uh, this is just a taste, guys, of I'm sure what we're going to hear in the 12 months ahead. No doubt about it. Um, it's interesting that, I mean, I, it's not surprising actually to me that, that no banks are up there right now because it seems as if we moved on to, uh, to other issues. But um, yeah, I wonder if um, it, it's hard to find a consistency in terms of how the market has viewed those companies we mentioned as the most frequent uh, targets. It's not as if they've all suffered. It's not as if they're all seen as under assault from regulatory threats. But it's uh, it's definitely a you know it's the theme of this election. It's why a lot of people think that once the election heats up the campaign next year, the market's going to have to you know navigate some tough stuff. Although this new Quinnipiac poll, yeah. uh, Warren goes from 28 last yep. month to. 14. Yeah, pretty significant yeah. fall for her. And by the way, you could also see that reflected in the rise in healthcare stocks Absolutely. and in some of the smaller or mid-sized biotech. But it's been a quite a rally, Mike, over the last couple of weeks as her poll it's numbers have linear. come yeah. down. Exactly. Um, and, you know, it's obviously driven by the same thing, right? She, her poll numbers come down in part because people don't really seem ready for a Medicare for all. So you can do a chicken or the egg with that right now. It just seems like it's a remote possibility right you can see the drag from Boeing there. Uh, Dow's down 11. By the way, be sure to check out our podcast. You can listen to the opening bell hour of Squawk on the Street wherever you listen to podcasts. Dow's down nine, as we said, and we are at 31.45. As we count down to Black Friday, it has not been a good year for Macy's. The single worst performer of the S&P so far this year, down 47.5 down 54 over 12 months. Horse Walk on the Street is straight ahead. It is expected to be the busiest Thanksgiving weekend ever for U.S. airlines. Phil LeBeau is at Chicago's O'Hare Airport with more on how the carriers are handling this year's holiday travel rush. Hey, Phil. Hey, Mike. It is busy, but not terrible this morning here at O'Hare. For the most part, it's been fairly uh, ordinary as far as what we expect the day before Thanksgiving. In terms of total number of people flying here in the United States, it's expected to be 2.98 million people, according to Airlines for America. That would make today the second busiest travel day of the year. The busiest? 
That'll happen on Sunday. By the way, we have seen some cancellations as weather systems have moved from the upper Midwest into the Northeast. Right now, it's a little over 450 flights that have been canceled. If there's good news in the issues travel season for the people who are on the road, it's in the airfares that they're paying. Look at this from Hopper. We've seen airfares trending lower over time. That has continued this holiday season. They are close to their record lows. Quickly take a look at shares of United, Delta, and America. And the reason we're showing this is because these airlines have added, along with other airlines, about 800 flights for this Thanksgiving season. But remember, they planned on adding even more. But because United and American, as well as Southwest, don't have the full complement of uh, their fleets because of the 737 MAX, we are seeing slightly tighter capacity. But again, so far today, guys, it has been a relatively smooth start to the Thanksgiving travel season here at O'Hare. Phil, if they haven't added as much uh, capacity, why the uh, decline in airfare? It's just a generally kind of softer part of the economy at this point? Correct. And you're seeing a lot of the airfares uh, and the flights that are coming in, coming in on the lower end of the market with the low-cost carriers. And that's bringing the overall pressure down, if you will, in terms of the, the legacy carriers and those more lucrative routes. That's not where we're seeing the capacity being added. We're seeing it really on the lower end of the market. All right, Phil, good stuff. Everybody, um, yeah, be careful on the roads, obviously, uh, if you had traveling for the holiday. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.